Our communion meditation text is in Colossians. So I'll read Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would awaken us to focus on it in a new way, to apply all of our minds to it, and that your Holy Spirit would open us up to a deeper understanding and to apply it to our lives. In Christ's name and for the sake of his kingdom, amen. How many people have begun with January to read through the Bible? Not enough, not nearly enough. Let's do it again. How many people have committed this year to read through the Bible? Okay, a few more hands went up. Good. I don't know whether you just did it. It's like passing the plate. Nope, not enough yet. Let's get some more in here. Uh, when, you, when you read the Bible, if you've read through the Bible, uh, you know that there are these really, really big books at the beginning and these comparatively tiny books near the end. And so when you sit down to read Genesis, you sit down to read Genesis. If you're going to read it in one sitting, it's going to take you how long do you think? 50 chapters. I read three chapters in about 10 minutes, so I do the math. I can read about 18 chapters in an hour, so it's going to take me almost three hours to read the book of Genesis if I were to just sit down and read it. Now, don't tell me, especially those of you that raised your hands earlier about reading fiction books, don't tell me you can't sit down and read for two and a half to three hours. All of us can. Now, you don't have to read all of Genesis in that one sitting. Genesis 1 to 11 is a nice chunk. 12 to 24 is a nice chunk. So you can chunk it out. But still, when you get to the New Testament, like Colossians here, you blink and you missed it. Wait a minute. I just sat down to read and it's gone. What does that tell you? That tells you that you read it too quickly. See, we want to read the Bible like we do a novel. And early on, when I was a new believer, I did read it like that. I was voracious at reading the Bible. It was so exciting. All new, very little of it boring. Now, I didn't read Leviticus for the first year or two I was a Christian. I found no use for it. And so it's tough. It's, some books are tougher than others. Leviticus is the smallest of the first five books of the Bible. It's only 27 chapters only. But it's probably the toughest to get through, I would say. Uh, and so all the books of the Bible are kind of not created equal. They have different purposes, different contents. And so when you are reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, big books, long periods of time, or when you're listening to them while you're in the car, you can kind of 
tune out for a chapter or two, but if you do that with Colossians, half the book is gone. Wait a minute, I've lost where I am. And you keep hitting, go back, go back, go back. Okay, I give up. I'm not paying enough attention. I can't track where this is going. And so when you come to Paul's New Testament epistles, you must, you must take your time with them. You must focus on the words. The thing about the New Testament epistles too, especially Paul's, they're all kind of similar. Now, you have to read them enough to then to begin to figure out, wow, there are some big differences, like Galatians, for instance. Uh, he begins with no commendation like I just read to you. He just lambastes them for having walked away from the Orthodox faith. So see, you have to read Galatians a little differently than you read the other books. When you read Ephesians, you read first chapter, and there's just this beautiful, beautiful uh, focus on God's predestinating, predestinating power. And so there are these differences that can be subtle if you're just used to just kind of breezing them through them like you're going to read a history book like Genesis. So do you know why the major prophets are the major prophets and the minor prophets are the minor prophets? Is it that the major prophets are that much more important than the minor prophets? No. Their books are huge. The minor prophets' books are comparatively small. And so that's why they're called major and minor. It's not because they're the major ones, oh, they're so important, and the minor ones, oh, they're not so important. No, they're all important. They're all in the Bible. But size of books has uh, contributed to where they've been placed in the Bible for our benefit. So now, another thing about the New Testament letters that can kind of be confusing to you is that they are a lot alike. They kind of start the same, they, they begin the same, they kind of end the same. All these people that we don't know, all these people that if you, oh, thank God for search, right? I mean, can you imagine being John Calvin and sitting there and trying to figure out who all these people are and creating lots of little papers, connecting them? Now we just control F, control F, control F. We've got it so easy comparatively. So we can find these people. We might not spell it right, perhaps, or it differs a little bit, and we have to be a little more creative in that regard, but yet we benefit from these tools that God has given us. Now, if you have read a New Testament letter in recent weeks, and you've just kind of come away from it without any sense of content, any sense of meaning, you've probably read it way, way too fast, and you've got to go read, read it, reread it, reread it, reread it. It's only four chapters after all. It's only going to take you about 12, 13 minutes. So just take your time. Read it carefully. Reread it again. This is why it's important for us to learn to meditate and memorize Scripture. How can you treasure the Word of God if it's not inside of you? I don't see how you can. This is not a treasure if I don't understand it, if I don't have it in me such that I can draw it out when needed. If I'm speaking to some folks that have never memorized a big chunk of text, you have no idea what you've been missing. No idea. When I'm in an uncomfortable situation, now it's not only this, but still, at times, when I'm in a very boring or uncomfortable situation, there's nothing to read, you know, you're stuck at the auto repair shop, you're stuck on the side of the road, uh, you're having to wait for an hour or two, what do you do with your time? You might pray, 
and you're using your time wisely, you might meditate on Scripture. And so if you don't know a big chunk of Scripture, it's going to be a pretty brief period of meditation because you just don't know anything. It's not in your head. It's not treasured in you. Whereas if you've memorized blocks of Scripture, it might have been months since you've last rehearsed it, but you find yourself doing it and doing it and doing it. It all starts flooding back into your head. It's wonderful. It's just a wonderful experience. And if you've never experienced that, I encourage you to. You really want to memorize some Scripture such that when you're stuck on the side of the road, you can benefit from that time. Prayer is great. You'll be able to do that too. But also meditation on God's Word enters you into prayer. That's one of the things that when you read history of, of uh, great believers, they always say it's hard. It's hard to get started in prayer. Reading the Word of God gets you into prayer. It, it walks you right into His presence. And so get it into you. On the return flight, I had finished that one book that I mentioned, and I began another book that Tabitha had picked up down at Voice of the Martyrs, and it is entitled A Flame on the Front Line, and it was written by a man named John Weaver. He had gone over to Afghanistan as a Christian missionary. Now, you really can't go to Afghanistan as a Christian missionary. You've got to go as some type of helper. And so he went with an aid organization, that type of thing, but yet he's out there presenting the gospel to people. And uh, so it tells his story. And when he became a believer, he kind of prayed the prayer at a Billy Graham crusade at 14, but yet he really didn't get confronted by God until 18. But then he's really confronted by God. He goes off to Bible college, and his New Testament teacher challenged his class to memorize Ephesians, the book, not just chapters 1 or 2 or whatever. How many chapters are in Ephesians? If you don't know, you ought to know. Six. There are six chapters in Ephesians. And I'm not getting on you about all this stuff. It's hard to remember all the chapters of the Bible. But you ought to kind of focus on that. They're important things. Because that way, if someone references Ephesians 7, you'll know they're a liar. <laughs> I flipped open my Bible earlier, and I was trying to re remember. I, I knew it was Obadiah, but I turned it to Obadiah. And, it, and at the top, it said Obadiah 13. I'm like, there's not an Obadiah 13. Well, it's verse 13, because there is no dot whatever. So see, it just put in the verse since there was no chapter to put, chapter to put in there. But I was like, aha. For a second, I thought, could there be an Obadiah 13? Have I been wrong all these years? And so see, it pays to know these things. So this guy memorized Ephesians, and he still benefits from it. Every day he benefits from knowing that book. He's out on the front lines. He's over there with the Taliban. And so he has every reason to have parts of the Word of God memorized and in his heart. We ought to, too. We, I believe, are confronted by evil all the time. And this two hours here in this facility with us doesn't get it. You cannot fight off evil in the week ahead of you by only relying upon this two-hour shot in the arm. You must have the Word of God in your heart all the time to rely upon it, to turn to God for strength in times of trial. I want to now read. I'm actually going to get to the portion and talk a little bit about Colossians. Verse 3. I'm going to put up my, my finger three times at certain words. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I raised my fingers when I read faith, love, hope. Those should be familiar to us. I asked my father-in-law on this trip. I almost never talk about the Bible or religion with my father-in-law. He's my father-in-law. I've never wanted to, you know, have any differences of opinion with him that were very obvious that I had to either back away from or kind of, you know, deal with it. So I asked him, though. I asked if he had a favorite portion of Scripture, and he said 1 Corinthians 13. We all know that to be the chapter on love. And the 13th verse of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. And the greatest of these is love. So see, faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. In the New Testament epistles, they're hammered home. Paul hammers them home. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. Here it's faith, love, hope. Think of them. I like to think of them as three legs of a, of a table. And so you know with a table that has four legs, the tables are always wobbly. They're so annoying. But with a table that has only three legs, you don't have that. It's stable. Now, you might push on one end of it and tip it over or something, but you're not going to get it wobbling like you do unless the ground is uneven. And so faith, hope, love, these three form a basis for the support of this table. My question then is what's on the table? What do faith, hope, and love support? And Paul tells us, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven and of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. So those three things bring forth fruit in us. So if you lack any one of those three things in great measure, faith, hope, or love, then you're not going to be producing fruit like you ought to be. And think about them just for a, a second. Faith. Faith is in what Christ has accomplished, right? It's kind of backward looking to some extent. Love is in the present. Love. You love. And then hope is about the future. So see, it's covering us through all time Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. And yet you need all three in order to focus on what is being produced and set upon this table. And that's fruits. Good fruits. And so to the degree that you lack any one of those things, you lack then the ability to produce good fruits. Think of them as pillars of Christianity. Pillars in this edifice that we build. And so we are a part of this. God builds this through us. And yet, focus on those three things. Make sure you have all three. If you identify one of them as a weakness, for instance, faith is backward-looking. Do you know things? Does, is it in your head? If you don't have it in your head, if you don't know things, you're probably lacking then to some degree in faith that you would otherwise had if you did know things. Hope. Do you have an anxiety about the future or do you have a hope, an expectation of the future? If you have an expectation of the future, you're living confidently. But if you have a fear of the future, if you have a discomfort of the future, then you're not living 
in hope, not the hope that God declares. And so you're lacking. That leg is short. That table's going to be sloped, all falling off the table. No fruit to show for your labor. So we want to live by faith. We want to live in love. And we want to live with hope for the future. And I encourage you, if you do not have the Word of God stored in your heart, to get it there. Begin meditating and memorizing Scripture. Something that you love. If you raised your hand earlier and you're trying to read through the Bible this year, you don't even have to necessarily begin memorizing the first chunk you like. Set it aside. Mark it. I write in my Bible. I deface my Bible. I write favorite parts of my Bible in here. If I see a chunk of Scripture I really love and I'm moved by, I make a note of it. So at the end of that, if you have like a dozen of those, pick one of them. Pick the shortest one if you want. But pick something to memorize, to treasure in your heart. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the fact that you have created this for us. Uh, Christ is a reflection of truth, and he is the word. He is a reflection of the truth of your word, the truth of the reality of what you have conveyed to us in your word. And so we pray, Father, that we would take it seriously, that we would want to serve you diligently, and that we would want to bear fruits as you have intended for us to do. We give you thanks, Father. And we thank you for the table that's before us that is a means to that end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.